When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a crowd podcast. Hello, Elite Club members. George Groves here, and we have a very special episode lined up just for you today. For any new Elite Club members, welcome to the George Groves Boxing Club. But first, if you haven't already, make sure you check out our previous episodes where you'll find the likes of Carl Froch, Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn, Rob Beckett, and many, many more great guests. That's right, George. Recently, you've gone all big time and you've gone on the High Performance Podcast yourself. And if you're a High Performance listener who's now joined our boxing club, then we've got a treat for you today because we've got a mind coach in the club. Now, some of you will know we've spoken to super middleweight contender John Ryder at length about his mega clash with the current undisputed super middleweight champion Canelo Alvarez, who he took on in the cauldron in Guadalajara, Mexico. Well, to Today we revisit our John Ryder episode in part, but we're not talking to the gorilla himself today, but his mind coach, Greg Meehan, instead. Exactly, Deck. Today we get inside the mind of a fighter and understand what it takes to control your mindset, control your breathing, and so, so much more. Let's get into it with him. Your brain's motivated all the time. It just shifts. What are things that people, normal people can do to try and be more present? Is it tiring? Is it taxing? How much energy does it take? Boxers being tough guys and being more open with it is leading the way a little bit. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Today, we have a mind coach in the club. Finally. Fresh off his trip with John Ryder, it's Greg Meehan. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the show, pal. Thanks for joining the club. Thanks for inviting me. I'm a big fan of the Cart Podcast, so it's good to be on here. Like we said, so you're a mindset coach. This is obviously an emerging field in sport generally, certainly in boxing. Hmm. What we thought this episode might be good is just looking at how to handle the Mm. big occasion. Because in boxing, there's a lot of big occasions. Mm. When boxers come to you, is it like a step-by-step process or how do you go, let's sort out your mindset? I'll say normally when a fighter comes to me, there's normally a reason why they want to come to me. They want to work on focus, motivation, discipline, or um, it could be something a bit deeper than that. But generally, it does come from the same sort of place as what we would have but there is a process to it it's about getting to know each person individually finding out what their triggers are because it's important to learn how to discipline and contain your emotions and thinking otherwise at the wrong time they're going to use you in the wrong way so um, yeah I'll start off by getting to know somebody through the sessions we have uh, and then start to see where I can build them a toolbox which I call a toolbox so they can just go to it if they need it in certain situations. For a fighter in the changing rooms or the ring walk, I noticed that's uh, quite a big area for them to stay focused and, and keep themselves in the room present. Yeah, and there's a lot of techniques that I use to go through with them. It's quite emerging. So some of the time it's a little bit like, uh, it sounds strange to them, like a lot of the breathing techniques that I'll teach them. And then I'll explain to them about a little bit of the science behind it, like being the right uh, brain frequency to stay calm, but at the same time sharp. And uh, it's been quite effective is what I've seen so far with a lot of the fighters. So, But yeah, because it's quite new, it's interesting. But they're athletes. A lot of athletes, are, as you know yourself, George, it's, it's discipline and 
if they think something's going to help them they'll do it every day and it, it, you know it builds up and the certain things we go through um, definitely uh, help them that title mindset coach mm. it might strike some people as kind of abstract mm. or a bit vague mm. what's a mindset coach you know I, I help fighters and or athletes I'll, I'll say fighters because we're on a boxing podcast yeah. uh, fighters with you know sleep patterns as well I'll go through their sleep patterns with them to help because there's a lot to do with hitting the right sleep states uh, in terms of recovery which a lot of strength and conditioning guys understand uh, and they look for that themselves but for me it's more to make sure that certain chemicals are getting released in the brain to make sure it's cleaning out the brain as such so they can focus so it's just as important as their body recovering that their brain recovers as well and also yeah the breath work stuff uh, that I would do with them is a big thing but I would say the small answer would be teaching boxers about how their brain works their mind and how to learn to control their emotions and identify them as well mm. so that they can use the emotion. It's, it's easy for somebody who doesn't understand about how they work or their emotions work to confuse like anxiety with excitement. You know, if someone's excited or, or anxious, they have a very similar effect on the body. So for a fighter in the change room, like a young fighter, for example, with not that much experience, starts to get that feeling in their stomach of excitement, but quickly thinks, oh, it's anxiety. Because with some people look at programmed like that. The world makes us think that if we get a feeling, it's a nervous feeling, it's anxiety. As soon as they like, label it as anxiety, they quickly start a ball rolling in their mind of, oh, what if this happens, oh, have I done enough? Yeah. Exactly, so it's about teaching them that you know it's excitement rather than anxiety. And most of the time it's like a light bulb a little bit. And you get a lot of coaches uh, will say to people, you've got to be disciplined, you've got to be motivated, you've got to have the greatest habits in the world and you've got to do this. And that's right, but at the same time, we've got to learn how to do it because we're all different. You could be really disciplined, you could be really motivated, you know, and I, I could have great habits, but we might not have the same attributes and it's about finding out what someone's good at. What's your background, Greg? How did um, you start working with fighters? I was a uh, financial broker in the city for 20 years. During that, I, I looked into sort of life coaching for about last about 10 years ago. I went through a big change in my own life. And uh, from that, I, I'm very interested in how the mind and the brain worked. And I went on to start coaching people in my spare time, more like a life coach then. And in the last couple of years, I've moved into sport. About 10 years total of doing that, but my background generally has come from working in the city for 20 years. Let's talk about John Ryder. Yeah. He's obviously our favourite. He came to you because he told us before, you know, in the first time we had mm. him on the pod, that when he boxed Zach Parker, he didn't. He just didn't feel like he was, quote unquote, in the room. Mm. He said there was just something off on the ring walk and mm. he was in there. He won the fight, of course. Parker pulls out of a broken hand. He wins the fight. He gets the Canelo fight. But he knew that something wasn't quite there. Or something, something was missing. Mm. And is that when he approached you? I've known John for about 10 years. He, uh, exactly what he comes, we spoke about 20 weeks out from the actual Canelo fight. So before it was uh, signed, he, he spoke to me and said, listen, I could get the Canelo fight here and I don't want to leave any stone unturned, which has become a bit of a catchphrase for his whole camp. And, and he said, uh, this is what I experienced from the Zach Parker fight and I, want, I don't really want to experience that in the biggest fight of my career. So what can we do? And I've known John a long time, but as I said, like you, you, when you're trying to teach someone certain things, you, they might not be receptible to, you know, the sort of like the breathing techniques first thing in the morning and, and these sort of stuff. And cause it's quite new to, to a lot of people. We started to work on that based on what was the Zach Parker issues. And because um, we didn't really know if the Canelo fight would get done or not, or where it was going to be. Then he said, after a few weeks, it's close, could be Vegas. And then he said, it's done and it's Mexico, 60,000 people. And I was like, okay. So then I thought to myself, I know what is going to be the biggest problem here. I didn't want to go straight in and say, this is what's going to be your problem because that's not a technique that I would go with. After about six weeks after the fight was announced, I think it was AJ versus Franklin and we were sitting next to each other in the fight. You, you know, Sweet Caroline's come on and you've got to imagine that everyone's singing and then me and John are standing up because the fight is about to come out. John said, oh, there's, there's nearly 20,000 here. So it's quite loud, isn't it? And I'm thinking, he's going to give me what I need here. And then all of a sudden, Franklin comes out and everyone boos him. And it was loud. And I said to him, you know, it's going to be three times as loud in Mexico. And he smiled at me. And I was thinking, that's when I knew that he was going to let me teach him 
how to avoid that. I think it was about three days after the fight when he was on holiday and he contacted me and he said, I've got to admit, he said, I was a bit uh, skeptical about the stuff that we worked on. We worked about 20 weeks. He said, but I can honestly say, I've just watched the fight back and I didn't know anyone booed me. He said, I had no clue I got booed until I come out and everyone was cheering. He said, but I didn't know I got booed on the way in. But I remember sitting ringside when everyone was booing and I was thinking, I hope I've done enough here because <laughs> it was loud. Yeah. But you know, when he said that to me and he said, we worked on flow state and stuff like that, which you know, stuff you know to do with flow state and optimal performance zone and stuff like that. And we, we tried to create a uh, like neuro pathways in his brain so that he would feel like he's been there before. And uh, yeah, he said to me after the fight, he said, I was doing stuff that I didn't know I even done in the ring. And it was stuff that we went over in terms of, you know, visualization work. We've done a lot of that. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good. Tell us about some of the stuff you were doing with John then. We worked a lot on breathing because the Zach Parker issues, if you want to call them, that he wanted to work on was not being present in the changing rooms, like maybe thinking a bit forward um, rather than just being where he is. And he's got a great team around him, you know, Tony Sims, Dan Lawrence, Charlie Sims, you know, so everything else is, is in place. You know, it's, it's the top it needs to be. So we started to work on breath work in terms of just keeping his heart rate low first thing in the morning so that we could work on his respiratory system, changing it. Because a lot of people breathe through their mouth, you know, and if we walk around like that, we're sending signals to our brain telling us that we're in fight or flight, basically, even though nothing's wrong. You know, sometimes we get that feeling of you know, a little bit anxious, like there's something up and there's nothing really going on. It's because we're sending these signals to our brain. So I wanted to train him to breathe through his nose only and that takes quite a long time because you're changing up the way you breathe as well especially for fighters they breathe they'll breathe like that when really they should be breathing like this because there's a lot of health benefits to it anyway but also for fighters with energy levels and oxygen around their blood system it helps with that as well but I wanted to get John into a calm state to get his brain in the right state which is called an alpha state which is very relaxed but alert at the same time so we practiced that and for a few weeks and then I got him to do it while he was skipping like zone two cardio. So then he was training himself slowly to be in that state. And then I worked on visualization stuff with him, which is something that you're telling a fighter that's never really, you know, I want you to sit down, breathe like this, close your eyes, think about, you know, the fight and what you're doing. Think about the changing rooms, the ring walk. Think about Mexico. I just wanted him to feel comfortable when he got to Mexico. And you can do this by a program in your brain. There's a theory that your brain doesn't know if something's really happened or not. And that's true to a certain extent. But if you've done it before, so like ring walks he's done before, change rooms done before, we can create a neural pathway in his brain that makes him feel like he's done it for that fight with the Canelo. And that was the aim of the game, to try and get him as comfortable as possible. And I think we've we done it. We've done it really well, to be fair. And it was a lot to do with John, you know, with his trainers and his strength and conditioning and, and me and his nutrition and you know, his management, everyone around him. It, it comes down to him in the end. You know, he, and I always say to John, like, you didn't have to do exactly what I told you to do, but you did. And that's why it worked. So all the credit goes to John, really. Not being present in the Parker fight, mm. does he know why he wasn't present in the Parker fight? Maybe just, I think maybe he wasn't present in the changing rooms and on the ring walk. And then he got, I think once the bell went, he was fine, clearly. But I think after the fight, he probably thought to himself, I've got, you know, I've done what I needed to do there. If I get this other fight, I don't really want that to happen because it could be really damaging, you know, because of the, the occasion. I think sometimes we just need to learn how to be present. All of us, like as a father, I'm a father and I, sometimes I'm guilty of not being present in the room with my children. It's a big problem, you know, and I work on that, but it's, it's hard. But that's a small scale. When you're talking about high performance and and big events like this, it, it, it's something that needs to be controlled and contained. It does take dis discipline to, to learn it. The, the visual stuff was really big for John. Like when he went and done the media part, I said to him, take loads of photos in the stadium and films as much as you can, if you remember. And he done, he come back and he sent me loads of the changing room. So we knew what the changing room looked like. So then we visualized the changing room, like who was there, who's gonna be there like warming up with Dan Lawrence on the pads with Tony. We're sitting there, we're looking at each other, we're talking about breathing, breath work, and, and just trying to make sure like it felt like it happened. So like he was there. Yeah, he mentioned it in a few in a few interviews. He's, and someone said, oh, you know, was you, you know, are you nervous about the event and the, the stadium? He said, no, I've been through the ring walk every night. But you had to build up to that. I can't just get someone that's never really worked with someone with mindset stuff before and say, listen, you've got to breathe like this every day and visualize a fight with someone, because they're going to be like, 
it's like you have to build it up. So it was training him to breathe right first. And then once I brought the visualization stuff in was a few weeks after that so that he could get himself in the right brain state to visualize and clear his mind. You know, other practices of mind clearing, which we could all do with, we're all guilty of just overthinking all the time. There was, you know, practices that we went through so that he could clear his mind so that when he is in the change rooms, he can take instructions clearly without being affected. And the second round when he broke his nose as well, it was like- uh, was, big, it, was he breathing out of his nose? <laughs> <laughs> That's the funny thing because after the fight he was getting his nose fixed and he went to me i'm glad we worked on nasal breathing for <laughs> 17 weeks but what i was doing was i said to him you you could fight 20 rounds with just mouth breathing on the night because you've done all the camp all the work you've done super fit super conditioned i said but the, the main reason for the nasal stuff was that, that he could get himself into a calm state to take the instructions he had to with such a big problem after the second round i think within the second round and you obviously got tony sims probably one of the best trainers in the world instructing you you want to hear it and take it in and that was something we wanted to work on as well was in between rounds that he was completely clear and taking on everything he was being told because of the event and yeah i mean he pulled through that magnificently so so this idea of being present mm. like you say we're all guilty of it and yeah. really i guess well maybe you could correct me if i'm wrong but it's probably something to do with the world we live in now with mm. social media and 24-hour news and everything's always like there and available mm. what are things that people normal people can do to try and be more present i think it's becoming aware of it first yeah. of all um i'll use example of myself if i'm with my kids at the weekend and they're talking to me and I might have my phone and, you know, little things like that. So now I put my phone in another room and put it on loudspeaker if someone needs to contact me. So my, I'm there for my kids at the right time. And it's also the world around us. Well, you know, it's, it's so much noise, you know, whether it's the news or people or social media. But I think it's important that we, we become aware of it because we're guilty of living not in reality, but in thought. Someone here is probably sitting here in this room, but not not present you know they're probably thinking about something else when they're here and they should be focusing maybe on everything here but we all do it mm. it's something that we all do but i think being aware of it is a good way to start it taking time out to practice you get yourself into a state where you can you know go to that if you need to feel present if you feel like that you're not in the room or you're not in even like having dinner with a partner or something we're sometimes sitting there and we're thinking about work tomorrow and stuff like that. and then next thing you know you go home you miss the whole situation in high performance as well if if you go down that road and you're missing everything you need to do just before the event then it's a big problem but yeah it's a, it's a big problem for all of us i think to to learn it i would say there's a lot of tools that can be can be learned to do it and being aware of it is is the start of it i think and thinking about your thoughts when they come in if that makes sense it's hard not to go too deep into it but if you're sitting somewhere example if you're having dinner with a partner or a friend or something and you're thinking about something else it's like being aware hold on a minute i'm not even listening here i need to just stop a second maybe take a deep breath and then just get yourself like back in the room and try and focus like that but it's a practice because it, it's something that we all naturally do we actually sort of our brain sort of does loads of different things obviously at one time but its whole sole purpose is to protect us that's all our brain does and it's not a sophisticated system for defense so your, your conscious mind just looks out for negativity even us sitting here now our brains we won't notice it are looking for negative impacts of something yeah, Ross. yeah in case ross beats us up but you know it's that's what it's looking for and that's where it will just put the thoughts into our head that negative stuff and then we get sixty thousand thoughts a day and i think the numbers like 80 percent are negative and so that's like i don't know like 45,000 negative thoughts a day and then i think 80 percent of that are reoccurring thoughts so if you think about that we constantly live in the past in a negative world but we don't really understand or learn it. We just roll with it. And I think it's a case of going down a, a path of learning about ourselves and coming aware and learning some tools to, to, to deal with it. Visualization, hmm. feedback from some of your fighters. Is it tiring? Is it taxing? How much energy does it take? It's a good question, actually. But the, the times that I do it, usually in the evenings before bed, because it does help with sleep. And then first thing in the morning, but I cut it with fighters, I'll do it for three minutes. And I do, I do three minutes for a reason because it's a round of boxing. So they associate straight with that. So if you're teaching someone off straight off the bat, it's like, you know, once you wake up, glass 
glass of water, sit down. There's one breathing technique to do to release the overload of carbon dioxide out of your system. You need carbon dioxide for your oxygen levels to flow around your body properly, but we get an overload in when we sleep. So there's a practice for that. And then go into three minutes of nasal breathing and sort of visualizing a little bit then, but it wouldn't work too much in the morning times. It depends on the person as well. Some people are like, oh, I can't really get it in the morning. I go, cool, okay, just keep that breathing going. In the evening, it seems to work more because that will help them get into a sleep as well. So by doing the breathing technique, once they're nice and relaxed and their heart rate's low, they're still very alert, but they're going into an alpha brain frequency and they start to visualize what we've talked about and what we need to work on. And then sometimes they go asleep with it. Because after the alpha brainwave, you go into beta brainwave, which is like the deepest part of your brain can be. But it's where we learn the most. So effectively, the best time to learn is when you're asleep. But we can't do that. Mm. So, But if you're visualizing something and you're going to sleep into that, then it's going to program and it will work programs that way. And um, yeah, and it also helps with sleep because you're preparing your body as well to go into a deeper sleep quicker, which is also good for growth hormone release as well in your sleep so in the evenings usually done so to answer what you were saying it's uh it's towards the end of the day where they're probably tired as well rather than make them do it throughout the day so the visualization you might be visualizing yourself in the changing room mm. or the ring walk or, or even the fight does it take away the excitement as well would you say i think because of the way that the breathing's done and the time of the evening when it's done it's putting them into a very relaxed rate and it really slows their heart rate down especially when they're deep in camp when they're so fit their heart rate resting heart rate so low as well so it's helping them getting in into a, a relaxed state but they've they're very aware of what's going on because they're very alert as well and it's also you know consciously you're understanding each emotion so you can control it more so you know the feeling of with a fighter where they start to feel that in the change rooms where they've been through a process of learning about it it's like oh, i know what that we know what that is you know i know what that is and me and john also worked on a lot of mantra stuff and one example was i trust the timing of my life i said to him there could be delays because Canelo might make you wait in the ring. Something's going to go in the change rooms and, you know, but I want you to just stay so present that nothing takes you out of that. So we worked on mantras and alongside the visualization stuff, you know, just to say, I trust the timing of my life. There was a situation in the changing rooms where the lights went out when John was on the pads with Tony and everyone was just looking at the guy like, what do we do? Like, what's going on? And he said, oh, the whole stadium's gone. So everyone's got our phones on and John was just standing there, just carried on like nothing had happened. Nothing was penetrating his, his mindset, you know? And again, he was like, trust the timing of my life. You know, this is happening for a reason, you know, keeping him present that way. Some of the stuff that you're saying, I think I did, even if I didn't realize mm. I was doing mm. it. Yeah, natural. I feel like nasal breathing was saying that I missed. I broke my nose like in 2012 mm. or something and then I couldn't breathe out my nose. Mm. So you always That's see me with my mouth hanging yeah. open like that yeah and those were clear on fight on fight night in the changing room i could breathe through my nose i mm. must be the adrenaline do some some visualization but visualize winning like sometimes not on purpose sometimes just because i wanted to do you mm. know even when i was an amateur like 15 years old i used to talk to myself in the changing room give myself the little drills tell myself how fabulous i am mm. and crazy stuff um, and then it become like partly like superstition and partly like a g up but yeah, you try to be present. I remember like Wembley Stadium, like fighting there. I want to be present. I want to be in the Embrace moment. It. You don't. I don't want. I don't want my mind to drift. And I don't. I think like, that's the only way I can describe being present. Was that you know I'm not on autopilot. You know, driving down the M4 to Swindon. You know, I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm you, you, you're there. You know, trying to be calm in the chaos. Mm. You know, there's. You don't need to be juggling a hundred different things, worrying about and stressed about hundred different things. You also you wouldn't I wouldn't want to be numb to it. That would be sad after mm. if I was like I missed that. another day at the office, you know. Mm. And I wasn't sure what John meant when he said he wasn't present. You know, um, was it just that he just flashed by that fight and then he finished it? He was like, could have done better or I didn't enjoy it. I know, Greg, you work with younger fighters as well. Is it different? You know, I won't just go to a fighter and say, oh, come and work with me. I'll help you do this, that, and the other, because I don't know them. You know, it's usually someone comes to me and says, I might need to work on this, or I'm here, but I don't want to go back down there. And how do I keep it to there, you know? And so I think in terms of relating to the youngsters, yeah, because it's a different world. And uh, I think if they come with something that they want to work with, I'll just focus on that. 
rather than trying to do too many different things with them because yeah it can be hard to relate and I think the youngsters we've all been young once we're, we're very confident but inside like this you know and it's generally most the, the most confident people generally are the ones that do have a slight self-esteem issue and and that can create a lack of self-belief and stuff like that. and I think the youngsters as talented as they are sometimes they lack a bit of self-belief because I think they listen to the world like you said earlier on about social media and how the world thinks and I think success is a big one a lot of youngsters will look at success on other people what they do so for example if a 100 meter sprinter gets his personal best but comes last in the race he can easily there's two ways to look at that there's one way to look at it like I've just done my PB I need to keep getting my PB, then I can win. Or someone saying, you've done your PB, and they say, yeah, but these guys have all beat me and I come last. That's their ego putting their success. So someone else's performance, they're judging their success on. It doesn't make sense because they're successful. If they continue to focus on their personal best, then they're going to eventually keep winning where other people might not focus on. They focus on something else. And I think that's a problem for youngsters where they feel that they need to be here when they have to go through a process which needs to be enjoyed. I'm Sam Warburton and this is Captains, a new podcast that gives you the inside story on how the most successful teams come together, grow and ultimately win. I know I'm not the best golfer ever played the game. I know I'm not the best captain that ever captains, but I do feel that like I moved it to a new level. Each episode, I speak to the biggest names in sport as we compare notes and share stories about what it's really like to wear the armband at the highest level. I was dead behind the eyes. I never thought I'd play for England again, let alone captain them again. And that for me was the darkest I ever got. We'll hear about the good times, just before I lifted the trophy, I closed my eyes and then lift it. And sometimes I do reflect and I think, did it really happen? <laughs> and the bad. One of the only times I've ever broken down, just cried in, in the interview. Armband on, headphones in. Listen to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, on your favourite podcast app. You spoke a lot about the the sleep being important and mm. obviously breathing. And mm. like, if you speak to Dan Lawrence, for instance, yes. you know you sort of work alongside. How much nutrition matter to mindset, and does it ever cross over into your thing, particularly with boxers who are depleted mm. nutritionally? Someone like Dan, he's, he's great. He's yeah. got such a great knowledge of everything, and uh, and he's a, a complete expert in in strength and conditioning, and, and he knows about all sleep, etc. Um, from my point of view, I'm looking at sleep in a different way. I'm making sure that they're getting in the, the right amount. So what someone like Dan would look at, are they getting enough deep sleep and rapid eye movement sleep for body recovery? But there's also a recovery for their brain in terms of how they think. And uh, that's what I will look at from that point of view. Most fighters, and I usually, when I start working with someone, I'll say to them, like, so who do you strength and conditioning with? And who's your nutritionist? Or do you do it yourself? And surprisingly, quite a lot of them know about it themselves. They're quite educated because I don't know if they learn from amateur or, and but they generally eat quite well. But what I look out for is like, I'll wear a strength and conditioning guy and a boxing trainer will ask, how's your weight looking? How's your weight looking? I'll also ask, how's your weight looking? But I'm not not for the same reason because I want to see about their mood and how they, oh, I've got to cut this much in a week. And then I know that's a little bit too much. And I'll be thinking, right, so if I meet someone or a Zoom call with someone, it's their body language I'm looking for as well. And, you know, but I'll know what it's coming from where they might not know. No, they might be thinking, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm feeling this and that. Okay, but you're going through a wake up or, you know, this is the middle of the camp. It's hard, you know, it's, and that's another part of what I do as well is you could call it counseling in terms of fighters probably won't go to their boxing trainer or strength and conditioning guy or nutritionist any or their manager and say, this is hard. And I have them conversations with fighters, but at the same time, the next day they're fine. They just want to say it's hard, you know, and they don't get to do that because I understand that it's hard, but sometimes they just want to say it out loud and then the next day they're back on it. There's no disrespect, there's the boxing trainers, there's, there's some of them fantastic. And like you said, they a lot of them do understand about what it takes with mindset and they understand you have to be disciplined. And, you know, but to have that conversation is a difficult one, you know, and sometimes I'll be there to remind the fighter that, you know, this is meant to be hard. You know, I'm more worried if you say to me, I'll say, how was it today? Like if I know they're sparring certain things or they're doing S&C and stuff like that, how was it today? It was easy. 
you know that no one's ever said that to me by the way but it's like the conversation is like you know this is hard like and once i work with someone longer someone like cyrus patterson you know third camp now with him and there's certain points we know that it's when it gets really hard and when it's when it's not when it's easy and there's a pattern to it and it's just reminding people like we know what happens now we know it gets tough and you know and these guys they're, they're so conditioned and they're so well trained and they get it but sometimes they just want to say it's hard you know and the next day they're, they're back on it you don't have to say any names but have you come across any trainers or people who you've had to go to war with i'll use tony sims for an example because i'm just a good friend of mine and he wouldn't mind but uh he's embraced it you know and it wasn't long ago that they didn't have strength and conditioning guys and he brought dan lawrence in and look what that's done for a lot of his fires you know so when i was working with john and he knew he was fine he was like you know any communication because all the communication would be would you know maybe once a week i'd say oh has has training going yeah really well and that's it you know it's that conversation you know there's nothing else really um i've not come i'm sure i will are you working with any coaches yet uh no i think that that will happen though i've had a lot of coaches ask me questions on social media and stuff and it would be a good thing for them to learn a bit more about this stuff because they can implement it themselves as well if but there's just sometimes that relationship where they just you know they've got so much respect for each other a trainer and a fighter but then they might need someone else just to talk to about something else like how's camp going like halfway through camp yeah it's hard but like this is also going on my partner or friends or something's going on away from boxing which boxing trainer or a strength and condition coach or a nutritionist probably isn't trained in to talk to you about you know so it's having that someone in camp there if you need to go to them and say look this is also distracting me different types of coaches can say like you know you need to be disciplined you need to turn up you need to have the good habits and they're, they're right but at the same time if there's something breaking that why can't they keep the focus I would try and find that out if what's distracting you or you don't feel motivated or you know anything like that and sometimes it is an external thing that's affecting them and then that makes the trainer's jobs harder but I can imagine that it will be something soon that I'll work more closely with him. This came up in the Carl Froch episode mm. and he worked with a sports psychologist, which essentially you are. Just, do you agree with that? It's a, sim uh, a similar sort of, in essence. It's very, right yeah, you, I'm not a sports psychologist, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's quite similar in certain the areas. idea in terms of like mindset and making yeah. sure the mind is right before, before an event. Mm. And it came up that he didn't want to let you know that because he thought it would show weakness. Mm. Do you feel that that's a change in idea? that he thought that that would be a sign of weakness that he's got, like, you know, a sports psychologist helping him out. I think then maybe, yeah. but I think that maybe come from Cole Froch rather yeah, yeah. than anyone else because- Yeah, but in a sport like boxing where it's very macho and very, it's, you know, all based on look how hard I am. And, mm. you know. Well, I think as uh, like we spoke about earlier, when, when John's mentioning me, it's like, oh, who's that? Like, yeah. you know, and more people talking about it because they've got so much out of it. For Cole back then, I can imagine it was, you know, not frowned upon, but looked at as maybe a weakness and, and I can see why someone would jump on that and maybe use that yeah. in, in boxing and because, you know, the tough guys and stuff. But I always explain to people that if you're a fighter in a changing room and there's another fight in another changing room and then word got out that your opponent has his mindset coach going into the changing room, there's two ways to look at that. It's like, does he need something to help him? Like, it's going to help him, whatever that guy's going in there for. It's either, you know, it's making him better. It's all about the strength side of thing rather than a weakness. But boxers being tough guys and being more open with it is leading the way a little bit. On other athletes, actually, mm. what? So you work with boxers and some footballers. Yeah. How do they differ? Again, it depends on what the person wants to work on because there's a season rather than a camp, which is a bit longer. And I think fighters is more individual where a footballer will go to a training session and he's competing effectively with four other players. So having a bad training session and the other four players in your position have a good training session, that can affect somebody who doesn't really understand themselves. I think it can be more intense for a footballer sometimes really? in terms of the daily competition where obviously fighters are in camp and they're obviously sparring and doing all the training they're doing, but the real fight competition comes up in the fight week where footballers tend to go for it like a day-to-day -day thing. So it differentials there. The pressure side of things is universal, you know, and it's how you look at pressure and how you learn how to use it as a tool or advantage or you let it take you down. You know, it's, it's completely up to the individual and, and what they know about themselves, really. Have you yet to meet a fighter who you're like, 
you don't need me mm. yet. Oh, you say like fighters come to you, mm. but then do you have fighters who show a lot of resistance at the start? I usually do like a discovery call with people. And sometimes I've had people that I'd have a discovery call with and I just think it's not going to work for whatever reason, maybe their attitude or you know, something. one call. Yeah, I've had someone before, a boxer that, you know, I want to work on this and I say, okay, let's try this. And the following week I'll speak to them and I'm like, how did you get on with that? And like, oh, I didn't get a chance to do any of it. And I'm like, I don't want to waste your money for one but also, <laughs> I'm trying to help you you know and it's, you've got to want to change you know action creates change nothing changes unless you change but it's not easy it's, it's hard because you think about it you're coming from a tough man world and they are tough men and they probably come from an environment growing up which a lot of us have where we don't want to talk about emotion and stuff like that it's hard sometimes for someone to say like talk about their defects when someone will talk about something that they want to work on and they're ready to work on it, then it works. This might seem like a bit of a reductive question or it might be hard to condense it down, but if we're thinking about just sort of top tips for creating that strong mindset mm. when it comes to performance, we've already established like being present is mm. very important. What else can you think of in terms of like, these are things like almost like tick boxes that you that you really should be doing? I think a lot of it's to do with the preparation. You know, self-belief is massive. You know, George mentioned some stuff earlier on about you naturally visualize as well, which I think a lot of people do because that's why sometimes we think it's crazy, but sometimes it works, but we think it's a bit crazy because we don't understand why certain things are working. And you obviously done it quite naturally, you know, and some people do, but if you double down on it a little bit, and work with it that way, it becomes more powerful. But I think preparation for camp for a fighter as well is really important and believing and understanding the preparation that you've done. Sometimes people will think they haven't done enough and or they've done too much. They just need to know that the teams they're working with, they've been through everything they need to. And it's about being conscious and understanding that you've done everything you need to do. You haven't cheated in terms of you haven't done the right sparring or you haven't done the runs you're meant to do. It's about understanding you've done everything you can and keeping that self-belief as well. Are you working outside of sport, general population? Is that something, that, an area that you're kind of working in or are you thinking athletes? I started off with normal people like us, yeah. if you want to call civilians. it. Civilians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's more deeper, I find, because- With the civilians? Yeah, in terms of like, because they don't really, sometimes they don't know discipline. You know, a professional athlete in any sport has got an element of discipline. So when they say to me, oh, I just think I'm lacking a bit of discipline, I'm like, you're not, you know, let's really find out what's what's really wrong because you've been disciplined your whole life. You're a professional athlete, you know, and there's a process to that. But then there's like, a, you know, someone like me who wants to get fit and go to the gym every day. You know, there's a process to go down of what's driving me to want to go to the gym. Is it because I want to get fit to live as long as I can for my kids? Yeah, that's a, that's a reason for me to go to the gym. And then it's about learning about motivation. You know, these are things that athletes are drummed into them, but average people maybe not. But then motivation is something that everyone knows what it means and we've got to be motivated to go to the gym, but you've got to learn about why you don't get motivated. And people seem to think they lose motivation. You don't, you're constantly motivated. Your brain's motivated all the time. It just shifts. So if a guy like me comes home from work and I've decided to do a running plan three times a week because I want to be healthy for my kids, I get home from work and I, I sit down and go, oh, I'll go for a run in a minute. And then I start watching Sky Sports. And the missus says like, why? I thought you was going for a run. You told me that you was, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm not really motivated. I'm still motivated, but my motivation shifted. It's shifted to watching Sky Sports because my brain's motivated. That's what it's done. If you learn that that's a thing, and if that happens and I'm aware of it, and I say, right, okay, hang on a minute. My motivation shifted here. I need to shift it back. You know, then you go to a process where you've learned about what your drives are and why you're doing it. And generally, if you remind yourself that I'm doing this so I can live as long as possible for my kids, that usually kicks your motivation back to your run and you get your trainers on and you go. What's the science behind that of like, why is it that in the end we don't do the things that will get us where we want or at least we really have to work for that? Yeah, I think it's a very individual thing. I think because we're all so different. A lot of it comes down to learning about ourselves and is it something we really want to do? Because sometimes we do what we think we have to do because it's what the world wants us to do. You know, and sometimes it's it comes from uh, where what the drives are. Are we really driving to do what we're meant to be doing or is it something else that we need to really focus on. I think it's hard as well because you can't expect a, a normal guy like me 
to think like an athlete. You can't expect me either to train like an athlete. If I say to myself, all right, I'll sit now, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to train every day, I'm going to do, I'll probably do it for two weeks and then I'll fall off. Yeah, exactly. Because it's hard, you know, so coming from a mindset side to that, people, you know, there's a lot behind it, and especially dieting as well. You know, there's a fat gene in our brain, which, you know, sends us into a panic mode if body fat starts to leave us. So if you're somebody that trains all the time, like an athlete throughout his life and keep, keeps himself fit, the body understands what's coming. It's so smart that your brain knows, okay, this time they're gonna lose body fat and there's no need to panic. And, and that's how it thinks. For someone like me who goes on an extreme diet for a week, there's a fat gene in my head that says, right, this is panic stations. We need fat, we need body fat. And then the brain starts plugging signals into me to panic and get stressed and be anxious. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not doing this, it's too hard. <laughs> the more fat we have in our body, our brain thinks that we need it to survive. Otherwise, if we lose fat, it means we've not eaten. Then it panics and it gives us the signals that, you know, stress signals, stress hormones in our brain that you need to eat. And then we give up because it's too hard. It's about, you know, understanding ourselves what works and slowly building into something. You're not a counsellor as such, mm. you know, you're a mindset coach, mm. but you will end up counselling mm. fighters in particular yeah. because you'll be the go-to guy. Mm. They don't want to share a problem with mm. this person, the team that they'll think that you're the logical person mm. for it. And then there's that pressure sometimes where you're like, he's in a big fight. I've got to deliver him something that's going to make him mm. feel better. Honesty is always the best policy. If I ever thought that someone was mentally in any danger, then I would make people close to them aware of it. And I say that when I sign non-disclosure agreements with people, I say, I can't speak about anything we talk about or mention your name unless you tell me I can, because um, you can sue me, right? That's what they're for, it's for safety as well, right? So they can tell me anything they want. But I do say that if you tell me that you're you you know, you're gonna go and kill someone, then I'm gonna go and, and tell people, you know? But <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of the time people will ask questions that sometimes I will do some deeper research into if I need to. But if I do think that someone needs a clinical touch, then I will say to them, maybe there's somebody else you might need to go to regarding this question. I need you both to really plug in your mindsets now. Yeah. Have your positive mindset because this is the best feature we've ever done. Yeah. <laughs> so the feature, we always kick around the names. This one was one kick. The feature today is called Greg's. And this is a this is a that's, this that's is so a, lazy. Is it or is it inspired? This is a catering boxing quiz. Right. So all the answers are gonna have some some link to food or drink or the catering industry. Right, okay. As if it's in Greg's right. ten questions of five each, you go, I go. As a guest, you can choose whether you go first or second. I'll go second. So question one, George. The current Commonwealth middleweight champion who is currently hoping to set up a fight with Denzel Bentley. He's about six foot four and he's a middleweight. Nah, pass it over. Any ideas? No, I don't know. Hamza Shiraz drink. That you having that? That's a double whammy. Yeah, that is a double Thank whammy. Thank you. Hamza Shiraz, you're zero for one. So, Greg, you're up. You can take the lead here. The middleweight knocked out by Gennady Golovkin inside four rounds at Madison Square Garden in 2019. I'm thinking of David Lemieux, but that's got nothing to do with... Very good shout, but it's, it's not him. It's the other one. And the reason I put this bloke in is because he came up in the John Ryder quiz, the first one. Fuck, I forgot what was... Greg, you give up? Oh, you it was Knight Ryder, so it was about a car. Steve Rolls. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Steve Rolls-Royce, yeah. Okay, so now you're up. Legendary middleweight who finished with a record of 174, 19 and 6. Maybe the greatest boxer ever. Sugar Ray Robinson Juice, yeah. Thank you. No, well, sugar. On the subject of that, Greg, so that's 1-0. Your one. The man who Robinson had an epic six-fight rivalry with. Jake Lamotta? I'm trying to get the connection there. Jake Lamb Otter. <laughs> <laughs> Lamb otter. You can eat lamb, can't you? You can eat an otter I'll, if you want. I've never eaten an otter. Having that lamb? <laughs> hey, if you're, if you're not happy with that, you wait. Some of these are shocking. <sighs> yeah, lamb otter, lamb. George, the man affectionately known as the Louisville lip. Oh, Evander. <laughs> Holyfield. Muhammad Ali. Greg. Muhammad Ali. Thank you. Ham, I'll take that. Three, what? Two, one. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is so straight. Got ham in it? Fucking hell, come on. <laughs> right, now you're in it. Back to you, Greg. This is actually quite a hard one. An MBE who was recently part of Anthony Yard's training team, but as a fighter, he won the British super middleweight title in the 90s. He was a British super middleweight champion in the 90s. Dan Cherry? No, but very good. Gary, very good shout because he, he was a middleweight. Uh, Give up? I know it is, but I can't get it. James Cook. <laughs> <laughs> Big, tall, light heavyweight 
who won the British title by beating Chad Sugden in 2020, but lost it in his first defence when he was stopped by Craig Richards. I know that is. Go on. It's Shakang Pitters Kebab. <laughs> Pitters. <laughs> yeah, Pitters, yeah. <laughs> Shakang Pitters. You were there, well done. I don't know what the fuck the score is, who cares? This one is a proper stretch. He's a legendary fighter at the smaller weights known as the Filipino Flash. Manny Pacquiao? No, no not, it not Manny Pacquiao. Noodle Donair? <laughs> no, what's his name? Uh, oh, Nonito. Yeah, what's, what's the second uh, syllable in that? Eat. Eat. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 thinks that's bad. This next one's bad as well. But think Bakers. He deserved to win it for that. I don't know whose go it is. I think it's your go. <laughs> the man who beat him. So we're talking about Nonito Donaire, the man who beat him in a 12-round masterclass wonderful performance in 2013. Ryan Burn Chicken no. <laughs> To take his WBO title. Lara's too big. Fuck, who is it? I know who it is. You know the one? Nah. Guillermo Rigondo. Oh, Rigondo, yeah. Oh, no. Rigondo. Right, one more. I think it's you, Greg. Oh. Let's see if you can close this out. This is a piece of piss. <laughs> oh, or is yeah. it? Former British light middleweight champion who last boxed in 2021 when he was KO'd by Troy Williamson. He ate mushroom or ham. <laughs> yes, Cheeseman. Cheeseman. Oh, I, think that, I think that makes you the That's winner. That's a clincher. There. Well yeah. done. If not, you ain't got a fucking title. <laughs> Breaks. Breaks. Just in closing, what's coming up for you, but also what I always think with like your profession and your industry, how hard is it for you to scale it? Because I'm sure your purpose, you feel like, you just want to help as many people, yeah. like you want to help this person unlock that unlock. You only got so many hours in a day and it mm. feels like it's very detailed work. Mm. How do you go about doing that? Like, do you develop a, like an app or, mm. or is it literally like, this is how I just have to choose these people that I work with and that's me. The whole reasoning for doing what I do is comes from compassion and wanting to help people, especially young people. I hate seeing people waste talent and I don't like saying the word mental health. I say mental fitness you know, because I think it's a stronger word. The other words, just it's just a negative word to use. And and I'd like to make sure that I can help as many people as I can with that. I think I'll, I'll carry on on the road I'm on with working with people. I think I'll probably go down the road of designing like a day-to-day -day thing for the average guy as well, you know, that they can use. There will be elements of what an athlete might use, but mixing it in with what the normal guy might do, something that they can do daily, that doesn't mean they have to be completely disciplined for, to get a benefit from it. Just small things that, that that can change and help them in their life. And I think um, maybe some sort of course or yeah, maybe an app down the road, something like that, mm. just to help the day to day. So follow up from there, Greg. People want to find you, learn from you. How can they do that? My Instagram page is uh, Rise Mindset Mentor. You can contact me there, and there's a website as well. And uh, yeah, I'll be happy to speak to anybody. It's a, it's also a resource for like yeah, I think. Like they, yeah. tools and things like that well that's what I wanted to do because the reason why I've sort of not spoke to many people in terms of the public eye is because I've always been the man behind the man or mm. behind the woman depends on the athlete but I didn't really want to be in everyone's face with making loads of videos about this and because it's not about me it's about the person so from a social media point of view I wanted to just put out quotes and, and sort of messages like that that people could sort of relate to and understand and um, sometimes use. And a lot of people give me good feedback, you know, not people I work with, they're like, oh, I needed to hear that today. Mm. That's something that's really helped me today. And that, you know, that's great, that's, that's what it's for. So uh, no, it's good that people are noticing that sort of thing as well. Mm. Do you work generally like camp to camp with boxers like Dan Woods? Would be generally camp to camp, yeah. but there will be like after the fight, like maybe like two weeks after there'll be a conversation just to say, did it all work? Work, you know to go down that road and uh, and then there'll be stuff that they might want to change for the next time but generally camp to camp but then sometimes there's a, a couple of sessions in between the camps because you know the fighters are waiting for a fight to come up you know and they're not in camp they're losing their training which is good for people to do anyway to release the right chemicals in the brain from exercising and sometimes they go from extreme camp to nothing um, and then they're not doing anything at all and that can affect mood as well because you're not releasing the right stuff in, in your system and they lose that routine as well so sometimes they just want to talk because they're like oh, I'm waiting for a fight it's not happened yet like, so yeah there's a little bit of in between stuff and, and I think generally I would say the camps are longer than what the camps would be that they work with other areas of their team you know maybe it will start a few weeks before like Ryder was nearly 20 weeks mm -hmm. 
you know, so before that was even announced, he was on on the case. So yeah, a little bit of in between, I'd say. Who's next up? So Cyrus Patterson must be yeah. must be out soon. I think Cyrus is out the 29th of July, and uh, maybe Jules Lidard on the same night. I think. Okay, so that's now you're kind of head down with that. Yeah, and, yeah, with yeah. that, and I've, I'm not sure. Maybe Ryder soon will have some sort of announcement. Hopefully for him, maybe a box Steve rolls. <laughs> Do you know what we need, George? Greg, we ask everyone to give us their ring walk track the song they would listen to or the song they would play mm. if they ring walked you can't just choose silence and nasal breathing yeah. <laughs> visualise the song yeah <laughs> um, I wouldn't have something that's going to make me feel too aggressive I don't think really like I know you're a Wu-Tang fan yeah so I like wouldn't Wu-Tang but I don't think that would work for me it might lose my head a bit something fun probably um, The Bomb by the Bucketheads so you're yeah you're thinking more vibe yeah more of a vibe <laughs> vibe yeah more of a vibe yeah lovely Great. thanks very thanks much. So much mate. thank Great you thank you cheers how about that then, Deck? My mind is officially set. How's your breathing feeling? Is it is it coming in through your nose or your mouth right now? It's in from my nose, out from my mouth. That's why I can't talk properly. Is that yeah. loud? I've forgotten already. Yeah, deep breaths expand the lungs. I'm feeling very positive now that we've got we've got Greg in, and I'm sure all the boxers who listen to this will will take a lot from that too. How on earth though, George, am I supposed to keep up to date with these episodes we're dropping? So the very best way to stay up to date is to become an elite club member by hitting the follow button in your podcast app right now. Follow us on all the socials, Declan, at GG Boxing Club on Instagram, Twitter, Tech Tech Talk. TikTok. And if you're old school like us two and you've only got the old email, that's still going apparently, they tell me, you can send us in anything you want to tell us to ggboxingclub at crowdnetwork.co.uk and you can leave us a review on iTunes while you're at it. If you do fancy listening ad-free, Declan, what should we do? Tell them what to do. I'm glad you asked because I've got news for you. You can listen ad-free to the GGBC on Amazon Music, M-U-S-I-C. Yes, if you're a fan of music, then why not check out our playlist, The Ringwalk? It's up on Spotify. Just go on your Spotify app, search The Ringwalk, it come up. If you can't, find it on the link tree on the Twitter account where you will find lots of other interesting stuff as well, Declan. A bit like the merch. Yeah, you've got merch galore. Oh, this flying off the shelves, there's a couple of bits left. If you still want some merch, go and do it. Greg Meehan's addition to the playlist is obviously on there, hot off the press. George, next week, we may need to rename this club the GGBFC for one week only. Do you know why? Because we have got two colossal guests. Not only do they now do their talking with their fists, but they used to be Premier League footballer, elite footballers. On Wednesday, regular programme, and we've got the only man to ever represent England at any level and win the British title. And then on Friday, we've got one of the most talented, gifted footballers of his generation, Jack Wilshire, who now goes down a boxing club and punches people's heads in. Wednesday, of course, it is none other than Curtis Woodhouse. I wonder what his football nickname was and if it was the same as his boxing nickname. I reckon it was a lot of chaos going on. It's an amazing story, Curtis Woodhouse. Can't wait to get in there with him. And yes, what a treat. For any Arsenal fan, for any football fan, for any England fan, Jack Wilshire's in. Jack Wilshire's in. Stars in our eyes. Friday. Do you know why? Because he loves his boxing, Declan. A stonking week in the GGBC slash FC. Yes, Declan. Have a lovely weekend, champ. You too, mate.